Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hawley of the Golden Hours Podcast, and this is a GDP Minute. Damn, I still got it down, man. Three months out the game, and I still got it down. Hey, everyone. Listen, this is the first podcast we've run in some time since we made the movie, and I've been going full tunnel focus on our movie. And, you know, to be honest, I was actually a little apprehensive to even run the episode because I'm kind of the type of guy who likes to focus solely hyper focus on something and uh i didn't want any distractions but i've been super into running recently and i had the chance to run one with mikhail graglia and it was totally totally a blessing man i uh i've learned something about myself running recently these past five six months i could not have gotten the movie done without running but the way he describes it and you know, it's going to sound psycho, but the way he describes it is it's the one true time where you can fully push yourself mentally and physically and just, you can push your limits. And, uh, I've been obsessed with that recently, totally obsessed with the idea of pushing my limits and kind of combating the comfortable mind because you realize you get into these habits sometimes and you say these things about yourself that you think are true, but the more you break them down, they're not. I wasn't a filmmaker. I had made a movie, but I wasn't a filmmaker four months ago. And now I'm in the process of making this popping ass movie for the city, man. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it's just, it's always good hearing from people like that because they got, they're tapped into something mentally that everybody else can tap into that you could probably benefit from reaching a level like that. It will make more sense when you listen to it. Anyway, um, thank you to Alexi for producing this and helping me get some questions ready. Mikkel is an ultra runner. Ultra runners are anybody who runs distances past 26.2 miles, a traditional marathon. And so I know most people are like, oh my God, a marathon so long. No, this guy's in a different tax bracket. So he just won the Moab 240, which is considered one of the hardest foot races in the world where he ran 240 miles through the Moab desert in Utah. He's also won the Badwater 135, which is an insanely, insanely hard race running through Death Valley, California. And, um, you would think a guy like this is hyper competitive and just like total alpha male, but he's actually just really introspective and he's really nature focused. He's pretty much a plant-based diet. And we talked about a lot. I learned a ton from him and uh, very appreciative for it. Also with that being said, um, quick update on the movie. We're in post-production. We're in the fourth week of editing and we're moving it along, man. It's crazy, man. Uh, like, you know, I, I was getting interviewed by the girls during the movie and uh, it's just crazy. You just obsess over something for so long and it starts happening. And I just am working my hardest to make sure that this product is popping so I can just give this movie to everyone in Boston and have everyone enjoy it. So that's where I'm at right now. And uh, podcast wise, I doubt... We'll be doing consistent episodes every week. We'll still be dropping episodes of the director's cut, documenting the movie. But anytime I think someone's a really cool episode that someone that's totally intriguing or someone that's connected to film or entertainment in Massachusetts, 
that's going to help get our movie out there to more people, I'm going to run those episodes. That's for right now. It might change. Who knows? Anyways, all love. Thank you for sticking with me. I'm still grinding. I'm still trying to fucking get out on my goals over here. And uh, still the same guy. Still want to be big, successful, and still want to grow this brand huge. So all love. Thank you very much. And enjoy Mikhail Gregory as Golden Hour. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait. Was that not it? Hey, enter. Just if you had to enter. Hi. My name is Mikhail Gralia, and this is my Golden Hour. What's up, big handsome? <laughs> Good morning. Nice to see you, man. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Dude, I know. I'm stoked to do this. I, uh, Right now on my phone, so we haven't really run a formal podcast in like three months because we've been making a movie in Boston. And so on the phone with me, I got our producer, Lexi, and she did some kick-ass preparation for this. Fantastic. Lexi, you want to say what's up? Hey, Mikhail, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? Nice to virtually meet you. I know, yeah, nice to meet you. I know, man. I'm hoping eventually when the world gets a little more normal, you and I can go for a run sometime. Oh, man. Absolutely. You're, I extend the invitation to you guys to come over here. we got beautiful trails. Yeah, so where are you right now? Like Big Bear Lake? Big Bear Lake, yeah. It's a, it's a mountain town about a couple of hours southeast of LA. Now, what's the climate like over there right now? It's um, it's winter. It's cold. I mean, like nights are like down into fifteen twenties. During the day, right now we're anywhere in between thirties and fifties. Sweet. So well, it's mountain weather. We're 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 about that seven. You know, the town sits at about seven thousand feet, and we got mountains all around about eight five hundred, nine thousand, ten thousand feet. So you know, it's pretty legit training ground. I was gonna say that's what we talked about a little bit on the phone. How like. It's been a, ju- a nice adjustment going from like the flat concrete streets of LA to like oh, the mountains. totally. Yeah, there's been a, you know, pretty good, uh, pretty good change right there. You know, uh, COVID hit the beginning of the spring and, uh, you know, we made uh, some adjustments initially related to COVID and then they, they played out very nicely you know, in terms of lifestyle. Yeah, it's interesting. Everyone acted like LA was like a war zone, and everyone just left and like. Yeah, went. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 a grid, and it's it's hard to live in there if you cannot. If you you know, at the time that we had the lockdown, we couldn't even leave the houses. We could, we didn't have any outlets, and so I'm like, you know, I live in an apartment, just like most people in LA, and the thought of being locked down in an apartment in a city where I cannot even walk outside, you know, it was a little daunting, and so. You know, we initially just got a cabin up here to kind of get away for a month or two. And then, you know, it worked out well. We liked it and we just got in a house. Now, so I went out to L.A. like a year ago. Actually, before we move on, would you mind just giving a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? I'm fucking pumped to run this, man. Thank you. Oh, so yeah, much. yeah, of course. Let me know when we're starting. I'm. Uh, we're, we're live, dude. All right, we're going. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, should I start? Go for it. All right. Well, and first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Michele Graglia. I am uh, um, an Italian-born ultra runner. I've been living in the U.S. for about just over 13 years now. And, uh, yeah, I have, um, you know, quite a, I would say, a peculiar journey to share. <laughs> and I look forward to do that with you. Well, I think... 
So I started running about seven months ago and I ran my first marathon on my own, as we discussed, like a real psycho, probably about 40 to 40 to 50 days ago. And since then, I've been really bullish on the world of ultra running. And so just constantly bumping YouTube videos on the Moab 240, the Badwater, some of the, the, I was looking at your Yukon race the other day too. That was insane. And um, I just, there's a certain point when you're pushing in distance that's so addicting that because you know you're pushing your limits and I've started to fall in love with it. It's, there's nothing like it. When for you was that first time where you were like, Oh my God, this is like awesome. I, I heard, this, <laughs> I, I heard the story of you uh, reading Dean, Dean Karnaz's book. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I was going to take it there. Well, you know, I discovered ultra running. Um, I was, it, it was about the end of 2010 um, you know, I wasn't a very critical time of my life. I was looking for an outlet. I was looking for something to bring me out of, you know, the situation I was in to bring me out of the city. And I was looking for adventure in a way. Uh, I was very much fascinated by adventure in general, but you know, there's, you know, I, I did a ton of research, watch a bunch of documentaries, just like, you know, what are you doing right now? I'm sure, you know, just diving in and taking as much as you can. The thing is like, I just didn't find that one thing that was calling and, and then, you know, by chance, I stumbled up, up an um, ultramarathon man by Dean Karnazes. And that book, you know, not only changed my life, but I often say saved my life. Um, you know, it really took me out of a, I would say pretty rough, I would say probably the, the most uh, challenging times in my life. Uh, despite being at the top of my career, I was falling uh, on a, you know, I would say somewhat of the depression, you know, when you start questioning your life, you know, it's, uh, it becomes pretty, I would say pretty, I would say very, very, very tough. Um, and, um, you know, his words just lit me up. I just very much understood what he was talking about. And I related 100% his message. I related to his position, to where he was in that specific time on that 30th birthday. I could almost like line up the, the similarities, you know? And, and I was like, wow, I mean, this is just like a light bulb, you know? I was like, I have no idea what it is, but I got to do it. I got to be part of it. And so I just bought a pair of shoes that are running laps in Central Park. And uh, just about five and, a half, five and a half months later, I told the line to my first race, which, by the way, was a hundred miler. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's also important to preface here. Mikel has never run an actual marathon. He's only he's only run ultras, right? <laughs> I haven't run an official marathon to date. Yeah, correct. So for everybody who's going to be tuning in, an ultra is technically any distance over a 26.2 mile race. And so, Mikel, the next legitimate race is normally 50K, like a 32 mile, correct? 31. Yeah, 31 mile, 50, 50K. So your first legitimate race was a hundred miles. Well, I told the line, <laughs> I passed out at my mile 84 that took me out with an ambulance. So I didn't, I didn't do, I didn't finish it, but, but you, yeah, loved I tried. It, right? you loved it. I, I loved every minute of it. I mean, it was probably the toughest thing I've ever done. I mean, hands down, it was the toughest thing I've ever done. Um, for the fact that it wasn't just a, you know, to me at that point was just a physical journey. 
I didn't understand everything, all the nuances that go in ultra running. And that's why I discovered to be such a fascinating craft. It's really like, it's, it's a discipline, it's an art. I don't consider it a sport. It transcends the physical, it becomes a spiritual journey, in my opinion. You know, it becomes something that transcends your, your body and allows you to tap deeply within. It's just because you strip away so many layers of your constructor self. And that's very much like meditation. You know, when you tap into that, there is self-discovery. And to me, that that's what became addictive. You know, the this, you know, since you were talking about the addiction of it, I don't think it's it's a bad addiction. I think it's a I think it's it's a fire. Um it's 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 a it's something that is fired up by curiosity, in my opinion. You know, we have very much adventurous spirits as human beings, and and you can see the exponential growth of the sport. It's not because people like to get dirty in the mountains. I think because like people like to get in touch with themselves, and in everyday life, we never get a chance to do that. So those are unique experiences. Those are unique opportunities. Yeah, the best way I can describe it for somebody who doesn't really understand it, when you kind of start reaching that level where your psychology starts shifting a little bit. It's kind of like being drunk where when you push yourself so far physically, your inhibitions start to drop a lot. You start, you start to feel a lot more honest with yourself. Yep. yep. Would you agree? A hundred percent, hundred percent. That's exactly, you know, we, we, we pretty much put up a certain facade, you know, a certain face you know, to, to society, you know, some like we have to play the role the way we act, the way we work and, and all these things. And ultra running allows you to just strip down all those things and be your true self. So it is, it is very much a unique opportunity. And, and that's why, you know, it doesn't matter how hard it gets. It doesn't matter how hard it is. The moment you finish, you just can't wait to sign up to the next one. Now, quick rewind here for people who don't know. So Mikel wasn't like a slouch before he ran his first race. Like you were like the hottest dude in America, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah. When I first moved to the country in 2007, um, I landed in Miami and uh, I actually yeah, got scouted by a modeling agent. And that's, you know, when my life changed completely. I, I you Johnny Rockets, right? It was right at Johnny Rockets. That's right. Um, I was strolling down Ocean Drive, uh, you know, a tropical storm hit. I just dove in the first spot that I found and that happened to be a Johnny Rockets on 8th and Ocean Drive right in the heart of South Beach and uh, yeah you know I met Irene Marie this she was the the owner of the most I would say the most if the, you know one of the most if not the most successful famous um, agencies at the time and you know I got catapulted in that world uh, you know I started traveling Milan New York uh, and everywhere and you know it, it was an amazing experience um, you know I, I just in 2009, I then moved to New York to pursue at the highest level. And, you know, I had a great ride. Um, I, you know, I was very fortunate to be, you know, the exotic guy, the Italian guy in a market where at the time didn't have many other options. And so to me, it was like, you know, riding smoothly. I was, you know, working with the biggest photographers and shooting with the biggest brands in the industry. And for the, what it was at the time, it was, you know, it was a dream come true. Because you can imagine, you know, as a, a kid from from a small town in the in the northeast of Italy, you know, come from a from a five thousand souls little town in the inland of Italy, finding myself in the Big Apple, you know, shooting with the biggest brands and you know, living up that lifestyle, the good life, you know, that is why those portrayed in movies and all of that stuff. And 
you know, it was it was the experience of a lifetime. You feel like a king until then you see the backside of it. And that's what you know, made me change my direction. Now, what was your <clears throat> your fitness commitment like during those days? Were you just like really anal on nutrition or were you lifting? I, I was definitely lifting. I was definitely working out. I was doing calisthenic at the gym, you know, Ocean Ocean Drive. They have the pull-up bars right at the beach. All the, everybody, you know, everybody uh, half naked, all tanned, hanging out by the beach. You know, it was good. It was good at the time. And, um, I, you know, I, I got to say I wasn't very um, attentive about nutrition. To me, at that point, it was more about starvation. So I wasn't thinking about what I was nourishing my body with, what I was giving my body to be healthy. I was just like, okay, I'm just not going to eat. So I trimmed down, you know, I, I have a shoot. Okay. I'm going to even take laxative so I can completely clean up, you know? So it wasn't, it wasn't healthy. It was, it was looking great. Don't get me wrong. You know, I had like 2% body fat and I was rocking it. And the problem is, you know, it's, it, it, one, it wasn't sustainable and it was just wasn't healthy. And that's yeah. when, you know, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So were you, when you would cut for a photo shoot, were you taking diuretics? Like were you doing dandelion root or? Yeah, about, about 24 hours prior, the day prior, um, take some, um, usually just do um, laxatives. So, you know, that would clean up completely your, your stomach and, clean, and show up those apex. Let's go. <laughs> That's the way to go. I uh, I did a water cut for our film, which I'll discuss more later. Yeah. Um, it's wild what happens to your body when you start flushing fluid like crazy. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. I'm sure at the end of your ultras, you have a, a similar drop in body fat as you would for a photo shoot, correct? Totally. I mean, different approach, clearly. Uh, and different function functionality, I would say. You know, the body just... You know, throughout the years, I developed um, a very much, you know, like an understanding of the physiology and what the body needs. So, um, you know, the first races I would finish and I was completely depleted, completely drained. I would finish and I was like racked just because I didn't understand anything about, you know, nutrition, hydration. When I talk about hydration, I don't talk about just water, you know, just think about chugging water, talking about finding the right electrolytes, balance. And that's that's a real secret in ultra running, especially if you run in the heat. And um, you know, nowadays I don't drop as much weight. Of course, you know you you're nice and lean, but it's not as dramatic as initially. And it's also less painful. You know, when you drain your body, it's you feel it. It's it's very much an uncomfortable um, you know action. But uh, finding the right balance. Start, sorry to interrupt you. What, so what did you start the Moab two forty at, and what did you end at? Uh, what do you mean? Um, Weight-wise. Oh, weight-wise, I, um, I, I started about 155, 156 maybe. Uh, I usually race at about 150, 155 tops on the heavy side because, you know, I always like to start a little heavier because I know that, of course, you know, I'm going to burn it all off. So if I have a few, a few pounds extra, it's all good. And then I finish just under... Uh, one one fifty. So maybe I would say one fifty, one forty eight tops, one forty seven. Um, so it's as you can see, you know, over two and a half days of consistent running, that's not that much drop. Yeah, I, that is like way less than I would have expected. I've yeah. heard stories of uh, Notre Dame football players losing like nineteen pounds in a game. You know, wow. 
Yeah, well, that's that's mostly water weight again, mm -hmm. probably. But uh, in intensity is different, and also they don't get to replenish as much. Yeah, absolutely. To, so, to out, yeah. It, so in terms of training right now, Mikhail, you are on. Have you bounced back from your taper yet, or your break, or have you started training again? Yeah, I actually jumped back on on Monday, on Sunday, Monday. Uh, I'm happy because uh, you know it took me about a month, month and a half to baby that Achilles uh, that I got hurt that I hurt during the race, and uh, it, I gotta say, you know, it was uh, it was pretty uh, worrisome. Especially at the very beginning, I just couldn't walk on it. I couldn't stretch it. I couldn't do anything. And, you know, when you look at it from a, from a runner standpoint, you know, just any one day off feels like a lifetime. Imagine, you know, I took some days off. I, I did some biking. I did some, you know, lots of healing. Like I allowed the healing process to really work its way. You know, lots of massaging, lots of, you know, ice elevation, everything I could do. Um, inflammatory oils, everything natural. Um, I haven't followed like a, the routine that I like to do with like massage and eventual acupuncture, just because, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, I don't want to say concerned, but I want to say mindful about COVID. And so I just don't feel comfortable in going in a studio or something, you know, get treated by a professional. But I'm happy to say, you know, it's, it's it's back on track and I'm enjoying already these last three days. You know, Monday when I did my first run, I felt like I never ran before. I ran six miles and I'm like, oh boy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, was it your just, legs or your cardio? Um, I would say a little bit of both. Um, the cardio, you know, it's I, I do, of course I didn't push hard, uh, and I just did six miles trotting, but the legs were very very uh, you know rusty. Um, but already Tuesday, Wednesday, things turned around and yesterday I actually enjoyed a super nice fast run. I was cruising down the Canyon and, you know, it's amazing to see how it's amazing to see how the body works. It's just incredible. You know? So what was yesterday's distance? Uh, just about eight miles. I'm still keeping it, you know, in the single digits, uh, for, for this week, I'm probably going to throw maybe a. 12, 14 there over the weekend, but I'm going to slowly start ramping it up. Um, also, because my next uh, big, my next race is, is at the end of January. So I need to, you know, I need to jump back on. I need to get back on track. Uh, at the end of January, I'm heading out to Minnesota to run the Arrowhead 135, which is up in the cold, uh, you know, carrying sled, running in the snow. It's one of those extreme, extreme races like the Yukon. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit out of the way in the sense of, you know, time, time, time wise, I don't like to race in the winter, especially if I have my goals set in the summer, but I think I can, you know, I would like to, to throw it out there and manage it. And, uh, and then I have some pretty big goals towards the end of the summer. And of course, you know, it all depends on COVID always. Now, are, did you sign up for this Minnesota race because you feel like you have good momentum or is it just a race you've always wanted to do? A bit of both, a bit of both. Yeah, I would say it's always it's a race that I've always done, that I always wanted to do. It's a, you know, it's a legit race, one legit distance, one thirty-five, just like that water. Uh, and then instead of being in the extreme heat, it's an extreme cold. You know, it's sometimes it reaches temperatures of thirty, forty below, just like in the Yukon. And uh, you know, it's one of those experiences that I always crave. 
it's it's one of those uncomfortable situations that I like to put myself into. If you if you if you allow that, um, what I'm, what I mean by that is, it's just a search. It's just it's just you know thirst for adventure very much. I just every now and then I just need to dive in and, and do it. So I came back from Moab and I was like, okay, I'm still hurt, but I don't care. I'm gonna sign up and then what happens happens. So it's you know funny enough the the, the, the race the race um, the registration was actually closed. So I contacted the director directly, their vice director. And uh, and he was kind enough to throw me a spot. And so we'll see what happens, you know, COVID, COVID pending. Well, I think ultra running is one of the few sports that's probably pretty low risk when it comes to COVID because just a bunch of people separated in the woods. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The only, the only uh, you know, the only part that you have to be extra careful just to start but you know, wearing masks and keeping distance, you know, five, about three minutes—not even two minutes—into a race, you're already separating enough that it's totally safe, totally fine. Yeah. Have you worried about you being an asymptomatic case because, like, your lungs are godlike and like you would probably, <laughs> you'd probably never show any sort of symptoms? But well, I gotta tell you, I you know, I was very mindful about it in uh, when I was in Moab. Um, as of right now, you know, I don't keep any. It's just my wife and I. We live in the woods, you know. We live up in the mountains, and I basically don't see anybody, and I meet nobody. Six and a half days a week, uh, we only spend about thirty minutes a week going to the grocery store. That's that's my social life, and other than that, you know, I just keep it private and I just focus on myself. So I don't, I don't worry about spreading it. The only concern again was during Moab. So with my crew, I only had two people crewing for me. And other than that, you know, we were very cautious, you know, between each other, uh, you know, gloves, hand sanitizer, masks, everything we could to just stay safe. Now, course, you know, for, so for those who don't understand ultra running fully, Crewing is when you have someone providing you with water or aid along the course so you can keep yourself fueled and ready to go as you keep running. Now, was there a pacer in the Moab 240? Was that where your crew also keeping pace? Right. Usually, usually, yeah. Usually you do have several pacers, especially for a race this long. Um, the, the, my problem going into this race is that I signed up about four weeks prior. It was a very much like a last minute thing because I was committed to run a hundred miler uh, pretty much like a month, four, four weeks before. And uh, that race got canceled because of forest fires over here in Southern California. And so I, I had a chance to jump in the Moab like last minute. So all of this to say that I basically didn't have the time to get the right team together. So I showed up there with one friend to start with and then one that came about 25, 24 hours later, uh, 24 after the start. So for about 202 miles, I did not have a pacer. I had the pacer only in the last 38 miles, 40 miles. So that, of course, you know, changed radically my, my approach. Um, you know, having a, having a pacer absolutely helps you, you know, not just follow the track, not just having companionship, especially in the night sections, but 
most importantly, in my opinion, is having a clear mind that can help you stay on top of your nutrition and hydration. Because after, you know, 24, 30, all 40, almost 48 hours, that's when I hit about 200 miles in 48 hours and I picked down my pacer. Uh, you know, completely by yourself, you got a little delusional. You know, your mind becomes a little foggy and it's, it, it becomes exponentially harder to stay on top of your things. And that's where things go south. Because if you don't stay on top of your nutrition and hydration, you're just going to crash. So the, the secret is being able to stay focused and stay on top of your thing. If you give your food, if you give your body the fuel, ideally it can go on forever. Only sleep is the problem. Sleep you cannot, you cannot go around it. You know, I try to push it for those for those two and a half days. I didn't sleep a second, and I pay for it. You know, in hindsight, I would definitely throw in a couple of power naps that would change the game completely. Yeah. So let me just preface this. So Mikel is talking about the Moab 240, which is a 240 mile race through the desert in Moab, Utah. And it usually spawns about two and a half to three days for the elite runners. And so what Mikel is saying is he, for the first 200 miles of the race, most runners would have a pacer. What he did is he ran it totally solo and then his team helped him out in the latter half of the race or the latter quarter. That's correct. So question, when you start an absolute journey like that, 240 miles, is there early thoughts for you where you're like, wow, I have so much to go. How do you get, (laughs) well, how do you get through the monotony at the beginning? Like if I have a a 20 mile run planned in my training schedule or 16, when I start, I'm just like, oh my God, I have so much to go. How do you get through that boredom aspect in the beginning? Because it only gets fun when you start picking up your distance really. Right. Well, um, two things. One is passion and one is mindfulness. Um, and I explain both. Um, passion is, you know, I, I'm so deeply in love with with this that I never, I never feel, you know, I, I, it's never daunting. So I don't think about it as, oh my God, I have to run 240 miles. I switch the perspective of, oh my God, I got the opportunity to stay two and a half days out there by myself. And that's what I love to do anyway. <laughs> I like to spend spend time by myself in the mountains or in the desert in nature. I love nature. I feel very connected when I'm out there, especially by myself, especially pushing my body, especially pushing my, my mind. There is something profound in that experience. And the deeper you go, the more you understand it. Just like meditation. And here brings me to mindfulness. It's about keeping into the present, keeping in the present moment. Um, staying present, staying aware, stay focused, not thinking too far ahead. Um, I do practice meditation and explain why. Uh, Meditation allows you to create a safe uh, psychological space. Uh, By that, I mean, it allows you to clear up your thoughts. So at least teaches you how to clear up your thoughts. Because of course, you know, in everyday life, from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, we're bombarded with, with outside influences news, words, talks, radio, stimulus, stimulus, social media nowadays, insane. So 
when you practice meditation, when you practice mindfulness, it's kind of blocking all of that stuff. It allows you to kind of bring the, you know, instead of going out, you're bringing the focus within. That allows you to kind of be in, the, in control of what you're thinking. So by that, I mean, it's not like you stop thinking, but it's about not giving the power to certain thoughts to enter the, your, your, your psyche. And by that, I mean, imagine if in the MOA or in the bad water, you know, you're 80 miles into a race, 80 miles, it's already a, a pretty respectable distance. And you're, you're very tired and things hurt. And you're like, okay, I have another 160 miles to go. Whew. That's way too much. That's way too much to process. There's way too much to think. That's way too much to, to even comprehend for the fact that it's so far away and you have no control over it. So already there, you're wasting energy. So mindfulness allows me to completely cover up those thoughts and stay present, stay focused, do my best in this moment because that's all I can do. That's all I can control. I cannot go back and fix what's been so there's no need to worry about that. And I cannot go ahead and plan, you know, and do the things that I want to do a day or two ahead. So I have zero necessity to stress about what's going to happen. No worries about the past, no stress about the future. Just do your very best in this moment. And that's, you know, if you do your very best in each and every moment, each and every step, the sum of all of them eventually that will bring you, will bring you to the finish line. Now, I'm sure that's almost like a muscle for you now, and you've had to work it over time and develop it. But I mean, I'm sure there are times on the course where you need distraction, though, right? You need and you have your micro goals along the course. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, you know, if we talk about tactics, tactics come in. Sorry, just saw the fire, fire dropping. Um, um, you know, yeah, of course you have to, as a, you know, it's, it's more like, more like about micromanaging sections to me. So the tactic is always, okay, I'm going to focus right now from here to, to the, to the next aid station. If that feels too much, okay, I'm going to run from here to the end of the Canyon. If that's too far, I run from here to that rock. If that's too far, I'm going to run here to that tree. You know what I mean? It's almost like kind of micro goals. And every little thing can kind of keep you entertained and kind of focus on the task. And to me, you know, it's like, I really don't, don't feel the need to, to get entertained. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's what we, that's what we're assuming we have to do. We have to be entertained. We don't need to be entertained all the time. Entertainment is fun because it's something that we can do in our downtime, but doesn't need to be something that we have to do all the time. Like, this is not an entertaining task. I cannot say running is fun. <laughs> we can agree on that. <laughs> but um, what I enjoy is the time out there. I cherish the time out there. I, I enjoy just being in nature, you know, like I, what what distracted me? Just the, just the beauty that surrounded me. You know, instead of looking at the ground and all the sand, I would look around and see all those mesas and those red rocks and those vast desert valleys. Those sunsets, those sunrises, that's what keeps you entertained. That's what keeps you going. Um, there's no need to keep the mind entertained. It's about quieting down the mind completely and just being present. And that's what being in the zone is. That's what flow is. You're not thinking about anything. You're not trying to do anything. You're just being and doing what you need to do. So that 
kind of takes away a great deal of distraction. You don't need to entertain your brain. Your brain is, is doing what it needs to do. You're put into the task. So here, it's again, another switch of perspective. You're not allowing the mind to make decisions. You just make the mind do the work. Does it, do, you, do you know what I mean? Totally. So I'm assuming that you don't do any headphones on the course. I did not listen to one minute of music. Wow. In two and a half days. You know, that's, and, and that's, a, that was surprising to me as well. So all you're hearing is your, your breathing. That's it. Exactly. You hear your breathing, you hear your heartbeat and you hear your steps. And that's, that's all you gotta do. You are in the moment. You know, I didn't sign up to that's go you know, to listen to music. Oh. That's a no. People are going to hear that. They're going to be like, "Okay, now this guy's actually nuts." <laughs> <laughs> but again, you know, like if you bring it back to to the roots, if you bring it back to to why you're doing it, there's no need for anything. All you need is just your shoes and a pair of shorts, and you just get out there. And that's about it. You know, you 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 understand what I'm talking about only if you do it. There's a lot of people that you know. If you run, if you run on streets. Hardly you'll ever understand what I'm talking about. If I run on the streets, if I run on the roads, I always have headphones on. I just cannot stand the sound of crowds and the sound of cars and traffic. When I lived in New York, I lived with headphones on. Here, sometimes if I'm going on training runs and I, you know, it's a long run and I want to enjoy some music, why not? But I just enjoy myself getting out there, you know, listening to nature. There is something very, you know, this is where I draw my my inspiration from just being in contact with nature, feeling that connection. You know, it's, we always, we always say we lost connection with nature. I don't think we have lost connection. We lost, we, we haven't lost connection with nature. We have lost connections with ourselves because we are part of nature. So if you reconnect the dots, there's something special right there. And I cannot tell you about it. If you, you know, you have to prove, you have to try it for yourself. It's something, it's something you know, that goes against the the guidelines and the, the direction the society is going. And that's why oftentimes it's overlooked. And sometimes it's almost like, you know, the hippies in the 70s. It's like, oh, there's a, just a bunch of stoners. No, they actually have something right there. You know what I mean? <laughs> there was something. I totally understand what you're saying. But for people who don't have access to like deep woods trails or complete serenity like yourself, how would you recommend somebody starts to tap into that? Well, you can find, you can find bits of nature anywhere. I started running when I was in New York and I started feeling that just running in Central Park or, or oh, running up and down the Hudson. Oh, you know? Central Park? <laughs> well, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do. And, you know, it, it all started, it all started in different steps. You know, it's almost like, it's almost like, it's almost like an understanding, just like you said, it's a muscle that you develop. It's something that, you know, just like uh, physical fitness, just like mental aspect, you know, the, the mental uh, attitude going into something, uh, the meditation, and also the appreciation. It's, it changes, it transforms, it grows. You understand it more and more the more you do it. So to me, when I first started just running up and down the Hudson, it was liberating. It was an amazing experience just because for so long I was trapped in between, you know, walls of concrete and gyms. So for that brief moment, just feeling the air and seeing the water shimmering and the light and the leaves 
and the people running, you know, it's like you draw that energy and, and little by little, you understand more and more. And the more you understand, the deeper you want to go. And by deeper, I mean, finding more and more solitude, finding more and more quietude, finding more and more that feeling of just being out there by yourself. There's something very, very, very special there. And, uh, you know, the deeper you go, the more you understand it, the more you need it. That's why I just keep going back for it. It's it's a never-ending love, love story. <laughs> now, what is your perception on pain in terms of personal growth? Do you think it's a necessity? You know, I, I've started to notice the more emotional pain you put yourself through or the more emotional struggle, as with physical, when you come out the other end, you learn a lot more about yourself. Would you agree? 100%. 110%. It's, it's very much... A, a journey of of growth and self discovery, just like because you know, just just like what we said at the beginning, you know, it kind of allows you to strip down from all the social construct and the way you think you have to portray yourself and you have to carry yourself. So that alone allows you to strip down those things and and understand that they mean nothing. They really mean nothing. The only the only thing that matters you is your true self. So if you allow your voice, your inner voice to speak, then your whole life, your outside life will change completely, dramatically. So the one thing that we think we need to do is probably the thing that is holding us back, you know? And I mean, you know, just accepting the status quo and doing the things that we think we need to do in, in you know, despite our call, our, our nature call, our self call. It's just getting out there, running these races, open up the gate to growth because you test yourself, you prove yourself that you're capable of doing what most people would think is impossible. So that alone lights up a fire inside of you that makes you feel like you can do anything. So there's, there's understanding, there's self-discovery, there's awareness, there is consciousness even, if you allow that. And there is the understanding that you can do a lot more than what you think you can and that alone is so inspiring so motivating that can, that, that can trans that can and does transcend the sport and it allows you to bring those lessons learned to everyday life and i'm telling you it makes it a lot much a lot easier now when yeah i totally understand now when you um when you reach about mile 80 on the Moab 240, when does your brain, what, what is your brain doing? Is it really going haywire? Are you seeing stuff? Are you kind of delusional? Um, I got to tell you, like, so it, it was very much like a task for me going in this race because I run, I ran much longer distances. Um, like when I crossed the Atacama Desert in Chile, when I ran the, the Gobi Desert in Mongolia last year. But never in just one shot. So there I was running, a, in Mongolia, I ran about 1,200 miles almost uh, in the course of three weeks, but I would go to sleep. You know, I would take little sleeps at night. I would stop and eat. I would have meals, you know. It was a different approach. Here, it was a test, again, because I, I planned ahead of time of not sleeping. I was like, I'm going to try it for myself to see if I can do it. Because, uh, you know, 
it's hard to stay awake for three days straight, let alone running for three days straight. You can imagine. So, you know, just the going into the race with the, with the, with a mindset already set up of saying, okay, I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep going and see what, how far I can go in just one shot. And so it was very, it was revelating. You know, it was, it was, it was a great testing ground. It was a great experience for the fact that I never pushed that hard that far. And so, you know, up until I would say about 150, 160 miles in, I was very much in control. Like, no problem. Like, I'm, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. No, no problem. It was hard. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pain going. There's a lot of, you know, things you have to deal with, highs and lows, emotional, psychological. But I was very much in control. So I knew when the lows were coming. I knew I was enjoying my highs. I was on top of my nutrition. I was on top of my attrition. I was somewhat, you know clear and focused. You had like a guiding voice in your head at this point. Exactly. I was, I was, I was, you know, I was, I was comfortable being alone. Um, things started getting a little tough. I would say after 170 miles, 170, 180. And that to me was also combined with the hardest section of the race. So that down happened and the toughest part, which is when you, climb out of the desert and you go, you climb over the La Salle mountains. It's over 11,000 feet. And I was right in the middle of the night. So it was a freezing cold. Um, I think it was like close to zero or five below something like that. It was freezing. Like it was ice. A lot of people after me got snow, you know, got a blizzard. I, I dodged that, but it was freezing cold, a bitter cold. Um, tip of the night, second night, no sleep. So I was getting very delusional. I mean, by delusion, I mean, like, I, you know, I, I, I started seeing people that I knew sitting on the side of the trails. I'm like, what are you doing up here? Like, how did you get up here? You know, I mean, <laughs> you're like all oh, the top of the mountain, there's nobody. And then at some point, I started seeing giraffes. These were old family members? I saw my grandma. Really? <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing up here? Um, and that kind of scared me because it was like, I hope this is not an almond, you know? But because <laughs> she's like 96 years old. I'm like, I hope I didn't see something, you know? <laughs> but uh, what's up? Like cheering you on or was she like, you're crazy? <laughs> no, she, she's always just me on. doesn't matter what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I started seeing odd things like giraffes. I started, you know, I started thinking I was, I don't know, it, it, it's, it was really hard. That section was really, really challenging. And then, you know, out of the, out of, out of nowhere, uh, out of the dark popped this headlight and it was my, my pacer, which kind of ran in from the A station um, in the early hours of the, of, of the, basically the, we were going into the third day. So we're talking about reaching the sunrise 48 hours after the start. At that point, I picked out my pacer, 202 miles in, and and this is where I'm like, okay, you know, I have a, a good shot. I didn't think about it up until that point, but at that moment, I was like, okay, now we only have thir only have 38 miles to go. Um, I think we have a good shot of getting the record. And so him and I started running, and the next section started out with the nice rolling downhill. And man, I just like, you know, the sunrise, 
the pacer, having somebody, the energy that I was getting, it kind of lifted me up. Like it, it, it rejuvenated the spirit. And I started bombing. Like I started bombing the downhill. I started running like sub seven minute mile, 200 plus miles into the race. And I was surprised for myself. I'm like, I just thought, you know, I didn't think this was going to be possible. And then, you know, on the, on the following uphill, things happen. And, you know, we can get into that if you like. <laughs> what did you, did you pass out or? No, my Achilles. That's where my Achilles on the following uphill. Um, I just, you know, I was, I was just charging. I just felt good. I had my poles. I was, you know, I was very much there, fully involved, fully ready. I was, you know, really digging deep. And I, on a push off on the rock, my Achilles kind of snapped. And, you know, I basically crawled the last 30, uh, 25 miles. Yeah. So those 25 miles took me about, took me over 10 hours. It's so interesting where that you're in this point where you feel like you have nothing left in the tank and you're hallucinating. And then just out of nowhere, you can pull energy from certain sources all around you just to give you another high. It's so absolutely. That's, that's, that's a fascinating part of it. You know, when you think you're done, you're, you're not even, you haven't even started. Uh, there, there's such a outstanding potential in ourselves, not just not just our bodies. Our bodies can only go to a certain distance if we allow the body to to dictate things. Uh, I would say not even the mind has to control your line of thoughts. I think I think the true fire has to be deeper, deeper inside. And here I'm talking about. Beyond the psychological, I'm talking about the emotional. And I'm talking about, you know, if you want to talk about it in a, in a higher sense, you know, you transcend the body, you transcend the mind, and you reach the heart, you reach the soul. This is why I say ultra running is, a, to me, is a spirit, spiritual practice. It's, just, it's a spiritual journey because you really strip down all of those layers. I often say, you know, when I go into races, I try to remind myself to, you know, the, the mind is, is a great servant but a terrible master. And I'm sure you already heard this, this, uh, this saying. And by that, I mean, if you let the mind make the decisions, it's always going to take the easy way out. It doesn't matter how strong and focused you are. It doesn't matter how committed you are because it's just an evolutionary thing. The battle, of course, is of the mind. It's right there. The battle of the mind is not allowing the mind to make the decision, the easy way out. Winning voice. Exactly. Because the mind is always going to play that game. It's, it's an evolutionary thing. You know, it's, it, it's, it's saving you from killing yourself running. <laughs> but we know now that our bodies can go way further than what we thought we could. So at that point, if you put that on hold, you allow yourself to live outstanding, incredible, amazing experiences. And those are driven by the heart, by the soul why you want to do this. The why has to be strong enough to shut up your mind. I totally get it. Now, I just want to pivot real quick. So what do you currently do training for nutrition? Nutrition is a very interesting um, topic. And it's, it's, I would say it's almost as important as training. It's almost as important as working 
your, you know, I practice meditation for that, but whichever way you do it, you know, we all have different tactics to control and process your network, you know. Um, nutrition is one of the most important things because, of course, you know, in everyday training, it allows you to, if you give it the right fuel, you know, it allows you to, to reach certain, you know, stages of training that you wouldn't be able to tap otherwise in terms of energy levels, but also in terms of recovery. You know, when I first started running, I, I, I didn't, know much, didn't know much about nutrition. I know carbs, I know fats, I know protein. That's about it. I know I knew the macro guard, the, the macronutrients. Um, when I started running, you know, I started trying, you know, I started this process of trial and error. I started trying things that were, you know, new things, see what worked, see what didn't, keep some things, throw out certain things and just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And then slowly, slowly kind of lined up towards this, plant-based nutrition, um, and towards the optimized fat metabolism. And by that, I mean slowly cutting down all the, of course, the simple sugars, but even the, the simple carbs. And by that, I mean, not, I, didn't, I didn't see the necessity of doing carbo loadings and stuff like that. But the fact that, especially in ultra running, you hardly tap into that full gas burst of energy that you need just like you know shorter sports or just like even a marathon marathon nowadays you know for professional athletes is basically a sprint so you just load up you burst of energy two two and a half hours three hours you're done and that's okay when it comes down to ultra running this there there is a switch almost in engine and and by that i mean you know, we all know when, you know, we already heard people running marathons saying, oh, 20 miles in the race, you know, two and a half hours in, two hours in, I hit the wall, mm -hmm. right? Hitting the wall is nothing but the glycogen depleted. And so the metabolism switches to fats. Mm -hmm. So you have that down, that wall, because you just finished your fuel that your body's burning at that point, the, the, the glycogen, the carbs. And it switches to fats. That's when you get your second win. That's when you start feeling better. That's when you start running. And then when you finish, you feel great. You're like, oh my God, I could keep going. That happens to everybody because I feel our physiology is the same. So if you take this approach and if you'd like to check more about it, I recommend, you know, I would recommend to check out Team Noakes or Peter Defty. They're two forefront, um, you know, doctors that bring out this, this revolutionary approach uh, which more and more endurance runners are are taking on for the fact that it becomes almost like an advantage you don't focus your nutrition on on carbs on glycogen you focus your nutrition mostly on fats on good fats i take a lot i eat a lot of avocados i drink ton of olive oil coconut oil nuts seeds all of these things and what that does is allows you to optimize your fat metabolism so your economy goes up and you have the advantage of not going through the highs and lows of the hyper and hypoglycemia. So you never go to get those spikes of feeling like a million bucks and then crashing, debilitating crash, but you have a very consistent and prolonged release of energy. Think about this. Imagine we have a fire in our chest, right? That's our engine. That's our motor that goes. When you feed it carbs, it's almost like throwing paper on fire. So it makes a big flame, but then it dies out quickly. When you eat, when you focus more on fats, 
it's like putting a big log on that fire and it just keeps burning and burning and burning. So with that in mind, going into ultra endurance in ultra distances, endurance, endurance effort, you have the advantage because you never have those highs and lows. You're just very nice and consistent and you don't need as much food because the food that you take, the fats that you take are nutrient rich. So, so it you, also helps with the stomach. Were you doing like a salt stick on the trail? Are you doing a goo? What are you normally doing? Well, initially, we all, you know, of course, the muscles need glycogen. So throughout, you do need some carbs. I'm not saying no carbs at all. I'm saying it's it's almost like in training, you adapt the body. So in, when it comes to everyday training, I, I, I try not to eat too much carbs. I try to focus most of the nutritional fats, some protein, and and then a, a thousand million different color things, which are the things that we always keep don't keep in consideration. By that I mean, you know, all the all the the real nutrients, the things that truly nourish the body. And here I'm talking about mountains of veggies and and fruits and things like that. Colored things that can give the body the true the true nourishment. And here I'm, I'm talking about the enzymes, the the vitamins, the minerals, the antioxidants. All of those things that truly nourish the cell and allow the, pro- the recovery process and this gives the, the nourishment to the, to the cell to create more ATP, more energy. Well, when it comes to races... Sorry to cut you off, Mikael. Yeah. Just so for the average listener here, what does that mean? Like, let's say you go do a 10-mile run today. What is your daily nutrition like today? Right. Um, you have the fact that, well, I have to think about how to word it because it's, it's, it's almost like it's, it's a switch of paradigm. It's, you know, for a lot of people coming from a regular approach, it make, it makes no sense. For instance, I usually never have breakfast. Me too, man. I, I, I seldom have breakfast. I have breakfast maybe, maybe once or twice a week if I feel like it. Uh, not because I need it, but just because maybe, you know, I'm, I'm training a lot and I just feel like I want a little extra. But sometimes, like most days, I just wake up. I have a cup of um, usually hot water with, with half a lemon squeezed in or maybe a little cup of orange juice with some lemon in it. And I'm out of the door. <clears throat> and up until two, three hours, I don't need any food. I don't need any water. I don't need anything. So this is the way that I kind of teach the body to, to, to go in economy and to learn to burn fats. So you optimize the fat metabolism. You're teaching the body to go in economy. You don't need as much fuel as you think you need. We are taught that we have to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, that we have to eat a certain things, but it's all BS. Pardon me. Uh, we can get, we can dive, like the nutrition aspect is, is a very tr- tricky thing. And we could spend hours talking about it. Which is uh, not very evolutionary. This, we didn't evolve from humans who had access to food at all points. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. So, you know, the, the guidelines of the nutrition that our society has been followed, they were, they were created basically in the 70s when, when companies in the corn and uh, all of the stuff industries, they funded certain studies. They came out with that famous, the pyramid, right? The food pyramid, 70% carbs, 20% protein, 10% fats. 
look what happened the last 50 years, the spike of cancers, the spike of neurological issues, the spike of diabetes, obesity. Look at, look at, the, look at the society nowadays. It's a sick society. Why is it sick? Because of what we eat. Highly processed, super sugary foods that keep you addicted. So it keeps on fueling the industry. Here we're talking about, you know, <laughs> we're getting a completely different discussion, but this is unfor- the, the, the unfortunate truth. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it's the addiction of having to eat that be this type of nutrition created. So they created the guidelines to create a society that needs to keep on eating those processed foods. Because why? Because it's money, <laughs> because it's business. But if you look at it from, a, from an evolutionary standpoint, we're doing the absolute opposite. Our, 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 our species as a human being developed thanks to fats, not even protein. The paleo diet is right to a certain amount because just like wolves, humans hunting, so prey, meat, it will only happen once in a while. It was not a given, just like carbs. Carbs, they were a gift of nature every now and then, whether it was fruit, whether it was uh, potatoes or honey, it was something that you would encounter. So we evolved over tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years, eating a certain way, mostly fueled by fats, which were oils, nuts, seeds, things that were available. And then all of a sudden we stop that and we just take a huge amount of, of sugar, simple sugars. And that's when the body starts crashing. We are unhealthier than we have ever been. Uh, you know, a lot of people often say, okay, but what about the, the mortality rate and what about the age? Well, first of all, you know, just over about 50 years ago, we don't need to go much deeper than that. We didn't have the same infrastructure. We didn't have the same medicines. I mean, most of the people nowadays are kept alive. Yeah, they live a long life, but they're kept alive taking pills and medicines for, for decades. So is that a way of living? Not in my opinion. So, you know, switching the paradigm truly allows you to tap into a stronger and healthier self and a stronger and healthier body that not only allows you to achieve and be happier outside, achieve more and, and feel stronger, but even having a, a much, much stronger and more focused mind. Because again, you don't go through those eyes and lows. You don't feel like you're crashing. You're just feeling good all the time. Because whether you eat or not, you always have storages in your, within your body. So what Mikel is trying to say here is he doesn't have any meals and just eats nuts and berries all day and runs in the wood and stuff. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> well, the thing is like, no meat. again, you don't need to eat as many meals a day. Like when I have, sometimes I have two meals, sometimes I have one meal. Uh, last week, because I wasn't running, I, do, I did a three days fast and it was, it's okay. You know, it's like, you don't need to eat all the time. It's, 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 and it's not unhealthy. It's actually the opposite. When you, when you don't eat, when you practice fasting, as I said, it's not just a great thing for the body, for the organs to reset to you. You just feel good. You feel good. You feel more energized and your mind, your mind is, is incredible how foggy gets after you eat. 
So if you have that constant search for food, because most people nowadays, um, and I say most people because I, I, you know, for years I worked in a retreat uh, down in Malibu, and I get to, you know, I got to uh, to meet hundreds, if not thousands, of people, and most people are set in a certain way, in the sense that you have breakfast, you have snacks, you have lunch, you have snacks, you have dinner, maybe you have another snack after dinner before going to bed, then you sleep for ten hours, eight hours, ten hours, you get up, you eat right away, so you're basically eating all the time. You're never clean. You're never. You're just never yourself. You're always processing. You're right. always processing something. So that takes away a lot of energy. Yeah, it gives you food. It gives you energy. But you have. You don't even have the time to understand that you have it. You already have the energy before you're already taking out that energy in. Does it make sense? Absolutely. So I fast. I do an 18 to 19 hour fast every day. Very good. Um, and everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I'm like, you just don't understand. Like I just, I never, in terms of energy, hit a wall. I just, I feel energized all day. Yep. Um, yep. But one thing I will note is fasting has become increasingly harder for me with my increase in endurance training, obviously, because I'm burning more. So has that ever been a, like a, has binge eating ever been a problem for you where like you're holding these meals off for so long, but you are burned like 2000 calories on your morning run? Well, I think, um, I think I, I believe in the flexibility and flows. So I, I am, no, <laughs> I, I, I like to, you know, I, I set myself in, in a way that works, but then, you know, we're humans. And if I have the feel of having to eat a pizza or, or something, I just do it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not a, you know, I don't have to prove anything to be, uh, to, to stay hard, <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> and by that, I mean, I, you know, I also have to, you, you have to enjoy it. You have to enjoy yourself. And, you know, if you feel like you need extra something, or if you, if you feel like you want to indulge in something, maybe once in a while, it's good for the, for, for yourself, for your mind too to kind of release a little bit, enjoy yourself. And the next day you're like, okay, I'm back on track. I don't need anything. Maybe for another week or two or three, who knows? It, it really depends. Like I try not to be too, like, I was very much one-sided, single-minded focus, laser focus. And that works to a certain extent. You need, you need to have a down, you need to have a release every now and then. Cause otherwise it just like, it just doesn't work. At least not in my opinion. You have to have you you need to be flexible. So having a little cheat day, you say, oh, you know, it takes me away from my usual nutritional routine, but it's gonna work, it's gonna give you a million points in other in other in other sections, you know. So yeah, you're eating a little extra outside your your plan, your regimen, but you know, the payoff is much greater. So enjoy yourself. We have, we have one life, we have one ride, better enjoy it. I'm not saying, you know, dive in and be a, you know, a piggy, but if you want to have a beer with friends, have a beer with friends. If you want to have a little, if you feel like you want to have a little extra something, I'm not saying every day, but every now and then it's okay. So strict to a certain point. Now, I want to let, let uh, Lexi ask a question, but real quick, did you use a tracker on the Moab 240? Like you have a Garmin or an Apple Watch or anything? A whoop? 
I did have a, I did have my Garmin, but I only had a five that race, which after a hundred miles, I actually under 94 miles, he died. And then I didn't see my crew until the next morning, uh, which was after my 120. And then I got my friends, my bracelet watch. So in a long, a long story to say, no, I don't have the whole track. <laughs> I'm just wondering how many calories do you think you burned across the 60 hours of running? I didn't calculate it, but I will give it, um, think about it. Usually you burn about 600 calories an hour, five, 600 calories. So 600 calories an hour, that's uh, <clears throat> 6,000 times six, 36,000 calories. Holy shit. <laughs> that's quite a bit. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> and, and, uh, and what, were you fueling like every hour? I usually take small bites of, of whatever I'm eating. Um, usually I start off with, with some, with some goose or a uh, simple, easy process that can be uh, dry fruits, that can be fruit, something that can go easy for the first couple of hours. Because usually I start off already fueled lightly. So going like usually the first four or six hours, uh, just simple stuff, not too heavy maybe a little protein here and there. And then going into the four, five, six hours plus, then I switch a little bit and I'm going to start, I start eating more fats. So there I take a lot of nuts, trail mixes. The best, the best ones in my opinion are the macadamia nuts, macadamia nuts, which is very high. You know, it's a little ball. You pop a couple of those and you got like a nutritionally dense uh, fuel right there. It's, it's what do you eat after the race? Did you go ham? Did you go to like in and out? <laughs> no, actually, uh, actually during the race, because I don't, you know, I'm Italian, you know, I was raised with pasta and beets and stuff, but then I usually don't eat as much. Um, I, I keep it almost like as a treat. And so when I finished, I was craving pizza and beer. So that's the first place we went, pizzeria. <laughs> Probably so good, right? What's the oh my goodness, are you kidding me? I mean, like I could, I couldn't walk, I could barely walk, and I was like, you know, delusional after sixty hours, uh, not sleeping and running out there, but just being out there and eating that warm meal, sitting down after you know sixty hours of running and eating, it was it was a great treat. You can't even imagine. Hey, Lexi, do you want to ask Mikel a question? Yes, hi, Mikel. My question for you is, I know you touched upon it a little bit about how um, modeling diet was, but I wanted to know if you could tell me the difference between training to be a model versus training to be a runner, how that differs in a, a training level. Right. Great question. Well, my, my you know, I... The, the approach is completely different. Um, you know, when I was a model, I was I was about 185 pounds, 180, 185 pounds of you know. I don't want to say beefy, but I was definitely you know I was definitely working out at the gym. I wasn't uh, training as a bodybuilder, but I was definitely lifting and staying um, just staying as lean as I could. It wasn't about functionality; it was just about look. So. You know, I did some legs every now and then. I did some, you know, little warm-up runs on the treadmill, uh, but mostly was pushing weights and and doing uh, short cardio workouts that would just skinny lean. Uh, 
and keep me fit. When it came down to training for running, I just understood that looks mean nothing. <laughs> and it's all about the, the strength and the functionality and the adaptation of the body to a certain effort. And so it became less, of course, of a, you know, of a gym uh, approach. And it was just about, you know, as of right now, I do maybe one section, one session a week, uh, maybe an hour, an hour and a half a week in the gym. And the rest is all outside, just com uh, conditioning the body and the mind, uh, uh, you know, um, just staying out, staying out there, staying on your feet for, for a prolonged period of time and just getting used to it. So the approach is completely different. Here is more is on the long, of course, long side of it. Uh, just getting used to, to the strain and to the rhythm. The other one was more explosive and it was just about looks again. Functionality. Yeah. Um, okay. So before we wrap up today, one man, thank you so much, dude. Oh, of course. My pleasure. We'll have to do it again when you have a big race. Do you ever come out to the East Coast at all? Well, I, my, my wife is from Connecticut. And uh, um, uh, she's from Ridgeville by Danbury. Yeah, Southern Connecticut. Yeah, Southern Connecticut. And uh, um, we used to come, you know, several times a year. Um, I've also, you know, because of uh, my, my main sponsor and their publicist is, is in New York. I've been visiting the past few years uh, very, you know, relatively often. But now with COVID, I haven't been in the city since last, uh, I think, January. So, but if I do, I'll definitely let you know. So maybe we can meet up. We'll eat some nuts and berries together, man. <laughs> exactly. You know it. Um, and so right now, just a quick question before we go. So yep. I'm nursing a little bit of a case of runner's knee. Um, okay. Sure it's something you've dealt with. Front side? Inside. Through, through the kneecap? Yes, sir. It's a hip flexor, 100%. Okay. So what would you recommend? So runner's lunge? The runner's lunge. So, you, you know, like you, you start from a standing position, you take a long step forward, mm -hmm. do on both, always do the same on both. Doesn't matter which hurts and which doesn't. Okay. So if you do something on one side that hurts, always do it on the other side. Doesn't matter. Um, so you just take a full step forward, let's say with the right leg, right? Um, make sure when you, when you do the lunge, okay, you drop your back knee on the ground you sink in as low as you can, making sure the front knee is stacked on top of the ankle so you don't collapse over, okay? So front knee on top of the ankle, backside, drop the left knee on the ground, release the back foot, release the toes, and then at that point, you inhale the hands up to the sky, roll the shoulders back, reach the gaze up towards your, past your thumbs, okay? So that as you, you reach back as, as, as back as you can, you reach as far as you can, lengthening this whole side and you'll see that the more you push your arms back the more you're going to release your abdomen and your abdomen is going to release the hip flexor the hip flexor is going to release the quads and the quads is going to release your problem in the knee what are you thinking like both knees do like a three like three by ten of those standing lunges um well make sure the back knee is down so you're not standing okay you're, you're all the way down and you're pressing your hips forward and down um, with that, I would say 30, 45 seconds per leg, maybe a minute per leg, just holding it in and breathing deeply and kind of trying to push it 
deepening the stretch out of every single exhale, okay? So you're kind of and pushing and pushing and pushing and holding it. You're not bouncing, okay? You're just deepening. Um, about a minute per leg, a couple of times a day, and you'll see like a, in a few days, you should, you should release the, the pressure. And, and when you're recovering for injury, do you change nutrition whatsoever? Well, I do, I do take more supplements. That's for sure. Cause I don't, I usually don't eat meat. So, um, uh, which, you know, in other, in other ways is what I'm saying is I don't take, uh, I don't eat gelatins and, and cartilages and things like that. Collagens that have all the stuff that you need to, you know, restore your, it's, it's not, it's not much about muscles, the problem, the inflammation always comes with tendons and ligaments. Okay. Usually the tendons. So with that, you know, I take some uh, gelatin pills and, uh, and then I think a great, um, a great recommendation is to go into glucosamine, chondritin, MSN. And then if you, you know, if you want to take anti-inflammatories, I recommend turmeric, I recommend ginger, stuff like that. Also, also uh, supplements one more time. I'm just going to write them down. Yeah, of course. Um, well, I started with uh, I started with gelatin, uh, gelatin pills, which have collagen, glucosamine, and then we have yeah, glucosamine, chondritin, chondritin, MSN. Usually, they come in a pill that has all of them together. And then, you know, if you want to take some antioxidants that will help, either way, I recommend some. Um, um, bromelain and uh, quercetin, quercetin and bromelain. Those are those are great uh, antioxidants, and they they work wonders for long you know long endeavors. Yeah, I have these friends who are in a supplement store, so I'm gonna bring that over to them. Thank you. Oh, of course, you're welcome. Yeah, those I would say those are the things that will keep your your joints oiled up. And, and good to go. And then, you know, I think the great, a great focus has to go in training, you know, in, in after running, after training, taking the time to stretch, taking the time to loosen up the body. Because if you do that, you're just not going to avoid injury, but you also set yourself up for a better day the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, you're already loosened up, you're already kind of realigned the tissues, you have, you're recovering faster. So the next day, when you head out of the door, you're less stiff. You're the man. You got it, man. Hey, so um, this is how we start and end these episodes. Okay. Dude, I'd love to meet you in person soon, man. When the world gets normal again, I'd love to go on a run for you. It would be an honor. Likewise, likewise. Yeah, I hope we get the chance to share some miles, cross our path somewhere. Um, we'll well, definitely be in touch. Trail shoes for Christmas, so maybe I'll uh, I'll run from Boston to Cali, then we can run up some mountains. All right, sounds good. <laughs> um, also, when we get off the phone, I want to make sure I can get your address so I can shoot you a sweatshirt. Oh, sweet! I appreciate that for sure. Yeah, I'll send you the I'll send you a message, a private message. You're the goat, man. Okay, so this is how we start in the episode. You say hi, your name, and this is my golden hour. Directly after, no break. You say hi your name and that was my golden hour okay okay you got one shot man all right (laughs) hi my name is michele graglia and this is my golden hour
<laughs> Hello, everyone. My name is Michele Graglia, and this was my golden hour. It's that was. It's that was. God damn, man. What did I say? You said this was. It's ah! that. <laughs> okay, let's do it again. We had 90 minutes of awesome conversation, man. <laughs> I just I just messed up at the end. Come on. <laughs> Throwing the whole thing out. <laughs> exactly. Just just delete it. Just, just trash it. All right, whenever you Okay. Hi everyone. My name is Michele Graglia, and that was my golden hour. <laughs>